Today's reading is Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the God, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah and as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word today. We thank you for these words inviting us to come and worship you. Help us, Lord, to receive what you have for us and to begin to live our lives by it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I don't know how you handle the troubles in your life. Some people so focus on the hardship that it leads them to depression. Others work hard pushing it out of their minds so that they can put a brave face on it. And their life, their motto is life must go on. And it's the old British stiff upper lip, isn't it? That many of my generation grew up on and were brought up on with fair reason because it was the spirit that saw our parents and our ancestors through troubles in the last two wars. 21 years ago, I was diagnosed with ME, and it was so bad at the beginning that 50 meters would tire me out completely. I just had to collapse. I had to leave the ministry, and uh, I was out of ministry for four years. And during that difficult and painful time, I learned a lot about myself, I learned a lot about God's grace and his sufficiency. I learned to worship in a way that this psalm hints at. It's another way to handle trouble. In fact, it's the prerequisite or the foundation for true worship. It's the Latin, veniti, O come. And the Greek word for worship echoes that. It's a compound word proscunio, which is to come, 
towards to kiss. Now, this is how you might kiss a sovereign's hand or a sovereign's ring. You would kneel down and kiss it. This is not a lover's kiss. It's uh, a lot shorter than that. So, it's a bow down to kiss the hand. In Psalm 8, we saw how God demonstrated his love for us, that he cares so much about us that he came to visit us. Here, we are invited to come to him, to bow down before him. And this psalm tells us almost everything we need to know about worship. It tells us what worship is, why we should worship, and how we can worship. What is it? Well, worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in a way that energizes, in a way that engages our whole beings, our whole souls. Let me break it down. Firstly, according to this psalm, worship involves every aspect of our beings, our minds, our wills, our emotions. There's three calls to worship here. Verse 1, we're called to worship with the emotions. It's uh, emotional language. Sing aloud, shout aloud to the God of our salvation. Secondly, in verse 6, we're called to worship God with our will. We have to decide to worship him. We have to uh, bow down. It's the language of submission, to bow down, to kneel. And lastly, verse 8, it's the language of reason. We have to think about what we're doing and how to respond. We're called to hear his voice, to listen to what he's saying and to accept what he's saying. And in that way, it engages our minds, our wills, and our emotions. And that's really important to understand because if we attend a worship service like this and we go through some kind of ritual and we mouth the words, we affirm the prayers and so on, without ever experiencing an overwhelming sense of joy and beauty that draws out of us a devotion, a response, and a responsibility to live in the light of who God is. If that's not happening, then we've missed what worship really is. Somebody who'd had uh, a lot of rejection in their life said to me once, why am I always crying when I come to church? Well, it's an emotional experience. When you've had a life like that, and you're beginning to hear about God's grace for you, and God's love for you, and God's unconditional acceptance of you as a creator God, then that's lovely. But what this person discovered, and this is why we worship, is that that emotional experience has to change the way we live. Because discovering that wonderful fact that God accepts us as we are changes our self-image, changes our life patterns, changes our priorities. And the how of worship is that worship leads to a submission to the King of Kings. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. He is, uh, sorry, we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. 
God is not just a great God. He's our God. He's made us his people. The psalmist in verses 4 to 5 has taken an inventory of the excellencies of God. He's going over them. He's enumerating all those good things about the God he sees, about the God he knows. And he reflects upon them until his mind and emotions and will are immersed in the splendor of who God is, what he has done, and how he cares for us. And that's worship. Here's an illustration that I hope will help you. Imagine a woman who has uh, inherited an old ring from her mother. And that came from her mother, and then from her mother, and so on. It's been around the family for, for years, and nobody actually knows where it came from, and nobody knows what it's worth. And basically, everybody had forgotten about it. But one day, this woman was sorting out some stuff, and she comes across it again, and decides to get it valued. So she takes it to the local jeweler, who gets out his, his little loop, and looks at the diamond, and he takes uh, note of the three C's, cut, clarity, and carrot, and he notices the way the facets refract the light and the clarity of it. And he also notices that this particular diamond has no blemishes, there are no inclusions, no shadows in this diamond. And then suddenly, after several minutes of noting down all the facets of this beautiful ring, his breathing becomes heavy, he begins to feel faint, because he realizes that what he has in his hand is of immense value. In fact, the ring that he's holding in his hand is worth more than every other piece of jewelry in his shop. And uh, this woman, too, then becomes to understand the true value of what this thing is about, because the jeweler's awe and wonder is contagious. So she also is just astounded as she realizes what she has been living with and she hasn't been living in accordance with the value of what she's had hidden away in a drawer. But now, what lies before her is the prospect of a life that is going to be completely changed. And that illustration is the best that I can think of that mirrors what worship is. The psalmist is calling us to do exactly what that jeweler does. It starts very rationally. It starts with thinking about God, looking at who God is, what he has done. It starts by enumerating all the various beautiful attributes of his creation until it dawns on us the value, the beauty, the glory, the majesty, the magnificence, the worth and worthiness of God to be praised and worship. In fact, the old English word for worship is worth-ship. It's to see what God is worth, to give him what he's worth, and to grasp that fact in such a way that we begin to live our life in accordance with that truth. And when I say live, I mean everything we do. The Hebrew word for worship, avadah, means to work as well as to worship. It means to serve others. It means those three things, worship, praise, work, and to serve others. 
So this is more than believing God is there. This is much more than understanding that he created all things. It's not just a, a weekly pickup on a Sunday morning, something that makes us feel part of a community. It's the difference between having an old ring tucked away in a drawer and knowing that you have in your possession a life-changing possibility, a deal-breaker, a game-changer, if you like, when it comes to understanding how to live life. It's a knowledge that will transform everything. A desire to want to serve him, to reflect his character, to look at people and care for people in the same way as God has cared for us. To have a compassion, a love, a patience for other people. It's very practical, isn't it? Listen to how Paul expresses it in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. So when God says in Psalm 95 verse 7, if only you would hear his voice, it's God speaking to us about what he wants from this. He wants us to listen to his voice, and while listening, don't harden your hearts. When I read this psalm again recently, I thought to myself, why do we have to end this beautiful psalm with such a harsh few words? Can't we stop halfway through verse 7 where it says that he is our God and we are the sheep of his pasture? Well, hardening our hearts is the exact opposite to hearing his voice. If we listen to his voice, then we won't harden our hearts. And if we harden our hearts, we're not listening to his voice. These two are mutually exclusive. And he gives us an example of what he means in Exodus 17. It occurs shortly after they've crossed the Red Sea. They journeyed only a week or two having uh, uh, um, crossed the Red Sea. And they came to this place and they came to it and decamped Uh, sorry, camped, (laughs) um, to rest. But they soon discovered there was absolutely no water for them. They all became very thirsty. And so they sent a a group of people to Moses who said, what are you doing leading us out from Egypt into this uh, wilderness just to perish? Where's this God that is supposed to be looking after us? Why hasn't he provided water for us? They demanded that God prove himself. And they put him to the test. Moses goes to God and says, look, what am I going to do? These people are threatening to stone me. What do I do? And God says, I will show you a rock. You'll go to to that rock. You'll have to draw your staff. You'll have to hit the rock. And you'll find that there will be water that will gush out. So that's what he did. It wasn't just a trickle. It was a torrent of water. Plenty to satisfy the people. Now, the thing that exasperated God was not that they asked for help in time of need. God never scolds people for that. The thing that exasperated him was that they put him to the test. Though they had seen what I can do, he said. And that is what it means to harden our hearts. It indicates that despite acknowledging that God creates this beautiful world, it indicates that Uh, despite knowing that that God changes people's lives, all of that, you haven't really learned anything about him 
when it comes to your own needs. So in the context, God is concerned that none of us should worship him and not be changed. He desires that worship should stabilize us, should feed us, should excite us as we see God at work. And so he ends this psalm with a rather somber phrase. Therefore I swore in my anger that they should never enter my rest. What is he meaning by that? Well, rest is always the consequence of worship. If you're anxious, worship God. If you're angry or you feel hurt, worship God. Worship changes the perspective because you're focusing not on the thing that causes anguish or anger, but on God himself, the magnificence of God, the ability of God to provide. And we're relying on God's actions and not ours for peace of heart and peace of mind. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be able to cope with whatever life throws at us. Whatever may come, there's no other way to find rest. There's no alternative path. There is no drug that will give you rest. There is no pursuit that you can follow, no book that you can read that will bring us peace in our hearts. There's simply no alternative. You cannot come into rest if you will not listen to his word of truth. Worshipping him, valuing him, for that changes us and it draws out a desire to serve him. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Amen.